Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. Today, our topic is purpose-built. How, why you build matters as much as what you build. We are really excited to have as our guest today, Christy Prigmore, who has a very unique background as a real estate developer over the past 25 years and a prop tech investor. Christy, it's great having you here today. Welcome, Christy. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got to, to where you are, because your background is very impressive. Well, it's definitely not a normal path. Um, I got into real estate very similar to a lot of people of my generation, whereas my dad was involved in the industry and introduced me to it. And I just took off with it. What I loved most is there are so many different angles to pursue and different ways to look at it. Um, I knew that there was a lot of variety. Now, you've done a bunch of different things within the industry, haven't you? You pivoted a little bit here and there, right? I have. Um, I went to MIT to the Center for Real Estate, and that gave me an exposure to a normal, enormous number of different disciplines um, within the industry and came out determined that I wanted to do anything but development, and I wanted to live in New York. And I took a development job in Paris. <laughs> Did you build the Eiffel Tower? Or what, <laughs> what, what, what does one build in, in Paris these days? Well, actually, I didn't build in Paris. Um, my headquarters was there. My company did a lot of office buildings um, in Paris, per, particularly around the ring roads um, on the edge of the city. But I focused mostly on London to start and then did a development project in Frankfurt, Germany as well. And you're back here now. You're doing some projects here in the U.S.? I am. My company moved me to New York, um, and I spent four years working for them, doing asset management and acquisition work for a German fund, uh, where we bought and renovated and operated the Manhattan Mall here in New York City. So you've, you've, your career has brought you across continents and across types of real estate. So you started off in, it sounds like commercial, and then um, have you moved over into the residential part of the business? I have. Um, in 2007, we realized that the pricing in the real estate market was kind of going crazy, and we weren't going to be able to buy anything with our underwriting restrictions. So we decided instead to liquidate our portfolio, um, which ended up looking pretty good in 2008. So I took some time off, um, and then in trying to figure out what I wanted to do, um, I've tried a bunch of things, um, a prop tech company. I got involved in founding that. Um, and I spent some time learning about the entertainment industry and sound stages and how to build those and realized that I really had a passion for the development work and for building things. Um, and I'm now working on a project in Austin, Texas, building condominiums. I thought prop tech was the guy who runs the lights on Darth Vader's uniform. Is that a different <laughs> term? Pretty close. 
<laughs> feels like Darth Vader's world sometimes. I would imagine. Because the prop tech. <laughs> so the so ultimately, it sounds like, I mean, I just want to dive into the passion there, right? And so I think that there are a lot of things, the reasons why we build what we build. And there's a, re- a lot of reasons why people love um, being developer in the real estate industry. A lot of people are driven by money. A lot of people are driven by the value that, it's, that it creates for, for the community. You know, and so you, you, you strike a nice balance, obviously being successful in your career and, and also at the same time being passionate about what we do. So what are some of the things that really um, inspire you about, uh, about the projects? Uh, your most recent one here in Austin, you know, what has changed over the years and what really um, are the reasons that you think um, these properties need to exist in the world? Well, I, I think it's really interesting to, to learn. Um, that's what always inspires me. And that's one thing that never changes with real estate. And whether it's learning why a user needs a space and what you can do to make it work best for the people who are going to be in it versus what a community needs or how to make it gentler for the environment, how to make it healthier for the people who occupy it. There's so many different angles and so many different things that have expanded really quickly in our understanding of how the physical space really affects the people who live in it or work in it or shop in it or try to recover for hospitals. You know, everybody spends time in spaces and so little time has been spent figuring out what affects that best um, until recently. And I think that's one of the biggest changes I've seen. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that in terms of the time, you know, you don't, in real estate, you don't build a building in a year. It sounds like you no. planning, <laughs> development, and then by the time you your first resident or tenant walks into the property, it could be several years uh, after you first came up with the idea. And in technology, uh, societies are moving so fast. I and mean, we have a, a pandemic that hit pretty much everyone over the course of the past 12 months. So how does... So you have to really forecast and think really far in advance about what the impact of what you're building has on the world that has yet to be. So how do you, what process do you go through to think about that and, 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 and what may, may have happened over this past year that has changed the way you think about uh, what you're building, what you, what you think the world needs to see or what environments need to be built in the future? Um, yeah, this year in particular, I think, has made a lot of us stop and reflect in a lot of different ways. Um, and part of it's figuring out whether these are temporary shifts or permanent shifts. Uh, with our project in Austin, we initially put it on hold when the pandemic hit in March because we just didn't know what the economy was going to look like at the end of it, um, trying to get financing to build speculative construction in the middle of the pandemic. It's a whole different aspect. Um, so we, we had to take some time and look at that. And in the process, we ended up completely changing our design. Um, we went from an initial conventional apartment building to cluster housing, which has no common areas. Everybody has their own entrance and a lot of private spaces with roof decks and um, unique configurations. 
And we, we really did spend some time saying, you know, we're going to look stupid in two years because we built something with all these private spaces that at the time everybody wanted because of it pandemic. Um, and whether or not that was a lasting decision. Well, I guess time will tell, but it's interesting that they're called clusters when they separate people. I'll tell you what's funny. I, I live in an apartment building here in Miami, and I used to always love it when the apartment, when the elevator would stop at a different apartment and people would come on, either people that I knew we could catch up or people that were new in the building and we could introduce ourselves. It was fun. It was a, a social aspect of the building. Now I'm in the elevator and I feel the elevator stopping on another floor. I cringe I adjust my mask and I get ready to protect myself from disease. It's, it's a whole different world. That it is. Um, and again, we've tried to balance that as well. We still have common areas where the mailboxes are and things like that. We have common barbecue areas and dog parks. So it gives people a chance to create community and spend time together, but to do it outside and at their own comfort level. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a, that's a key word, community, right? And I think what we know of as defines community has changed. I think in our eyes, where at one point in time, to your point, it was maybe people getting together in, in common areas. It may have been people casually interacting with each other or bumping into each other, so to speak, in hallways and public areas. Uh, but But now there's technology. Now there's just new ways of thinking about spaces that are perhaps making community better. I'm assuming that that we all want community and the world will run on it, but what are we thinking in terms of the built environment and how that's changing the way we see what community looks like in the future? Well, I, I think that's a good point. I think generations change in what they're looking for. Um, I think COVID in particular, uh, the property technology company that I'm involved with is called MyCoop, and it's actually a digital platform for communities and residential buildings. So it gives people an opportunity to, to still connect and engage with one another without having to do it face-to-face -face at times when they don't want to do that. Um, community gardens, there's a whole bunch of different ways that people want to spend time and share experiences that weren't necessarily part of apartment living in the past. Well, it's interesting you say um, community because we had an episode previously about Zooming to the office, talking about the positives and negatives. Uh, my sister is working remotely now. She's a social worker up in Canada. And one of the negatives is that it's hard to build that camaraderie, that bonding that comes from being in an office together, putting a new team together and working together. Are you finding those kind of issues in how you're operating now, Christy? Yeah, very much. Um, I It never occurred to me that I would be able to go through this design process remotely. Um, I expected that I was going to have to relocate to Austin. Um, but even there, I wasn't going to be able to sit around a table with my team. And I didn't think that we could have the kind of creativity and interaction that we need to have in this remote environment, but it's actually worked really well. I think the one thing that's been disappointing is for the first time in my career, I have a design team that's at least half women um, compared to being the only woman in the room. And this is the one time that I'm actually not sitting around the table with them and able to engage them and kind of feel what that experience would really be like 
if we were face to face. Well, that's a huge shift in the industry, I would imagine, where typically you think of real estate and development side to be primarily men and and it's a it seems like a great development and progress has been made and more women are in the, in the space and you're seeing that across the board um it's interesting i when i first started i mean even my class at mit there were 34 people and three of us were women um it was normal for me i would go to conferences in europe and there'd be a thousand people and there'd be maybe 10 female professionals in the room or at least real estate professionals um but it's something that has shifted. I noticed it first in the property technology space, actually. Um, I think there were a lot of younger women and they really worked to connect with one another and network and help each other. And I think that traditionally women have felt like there was only room for one of them in the space. So they didn't really work to support each other in the same way that they do now. Um, now, and now I'm finding it's the engineers and the architects and, you know, it's everybody in the support space. I can't say that it's a lot of women that are developers. That's kind of the cowboy space still. Um, and it's something that's not an obvious career path. It's normally something that there's a family connection or something that brings you into it. Um, so I'd say that's probably one of the slowest areas to change. When I went to MIT for my MBA, only about 10% of the class were women. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, more women graduate with MBAs than men. So what a change. Yeah, even in the undergraduate at MIT, um, they're over 50% women, which is a huge shift. Um, real estate's been slower, but I know I'm, I'm on the executive committee with the program and they spend a lot of time and energy trying to make sure that they're recruiting and getting information out so women know it's an option and it's available. And they've done a much better job at making the classes a little more diverse. Well, speaking of MIT and real estate, I remember when I went there, which was at least a decade before you did, I think, Christy, Kenmore Square, which is right behind MIT for those who people who are not from Boston, was basically a hole in the ground. Literally, it was a hole in the ground. We used to put on our hiking gear to get to the diner, which was the only structure that we wanted to attend in that whole area. And it was more fun to go to the diner than to go to class. So we spent a lot of time at the diner. But now you go to, to MIT, you walk around and it's it's a city. It's a biotech capital of the world. Um, they have incredible facilities and buildings there. And Kenmore, uh, Kendall Square is just, it's an incredible space now. You've got some great photos on your phone, but what are you doing with them? If you don't have free prints yet, you've got to get it. Free prints is a free app for iPhone and Android that lets you print all of those photos for free. You get a thousand free four by six photo prints a year. And all you pay is a small shipping charge. You can even print photos at other sizes for next to nothing. Select the photos, choose the sizes, and you're done. Your quality prints arrive in just days. Free Prints is one of the world's favorite apps. Download it now at freeprints.com and start enjoying real, professional quality, free prints. No subscriptions, no commitments, just free prints. Again, go to freeprints.com to get the app and your 1,000 free prints. Well, you know, it's interesting, right? You can think about MIT and someone who hadn't been to MIT. I think I'm the minority in the room. But 
when you think about MIT, you think about the innovation, you think about the future, you think about rocket ships and, and algorithms and all that great stuff. And then when you say MIT and real estate, I'm thinking, okay, well, that's interesting. So what are some of the things that people are thinking about who've educated at MIT and now in the wild, like yourself, that's the future of real estate. I mean, we're talking about floating homes and uh, spaceships and wh- I mean, where, where are we going with this? What's what's the next big thing in real estate coming out of the, the sci- minds of, of MIT people? I thought the scientists had come up with a round brick was supposed to be the breakout. Uh... Well, Elon Musk has a, has the has the the solar panel uh, tiles that go on your roof. I think. Yeah, those are awesome. So where are we headed? Um, you know, I, I don't think we're as, I think we have a lot to do on earth before we start thinking about outer space. <laughs> um, <laughs> no Mars ideas. We're talking. <laughs> we're, real estate's a little bit behind. Talk about sense. social distancing. <laughs> You're right. You know, we're, we're still trying to get people to put solar panels on the roofs of buildings, even though they've been around for decades. Um, It's really interesting because they've been talking about sustainability as long as I've been in the industry. And it's just now finally starting to get some traction. Um, And the biggest part is most development is done on a speculative basis by a developer. And so they build the building and hope somebody wants to rent it or occupy it and to buy it from them. And when you're building in that way, you have to focus on the costs in a very different way. And so it took owner occupiers, it took big corporations who were building their own headquarters and they owned their buildings to really be able to implement some of the sustainability features um, that are now fairly commonplace in buildings. But it took them to spend the money, take the risk, and then collect the data to show that it was actually worth doing and it's taken us almost 20 years for a lot of that to filter through so that now investors expect buildings to be sustainable. You have a whole different criteria. Um, occupiers won't rent buildings that aren't LEED certified. And I, I think that's been a shift that we're still just starting. Um, as far as the future goes, I think funny that you mentioned materials, but nanoparticles, (laughs) they're doing a lot of really cool stuff with construction materials, getting things lighter and stronger so that they're more environmentally friendly in production as well as less waste. Um, Modular construction is something that I think is going to take off really quickly. Um, Having control over the construction process has so many benefits, but speed being the biggest. Um, and it also reduces costs, which really could help with the affordability prices that we're having across the country for housing. Is modular um, construction a fancy word for Legos or what is it? Uh, kinda. <laughs> yeah, it's basically building something in a uniform way so that you can build it inside in a factory. So they've turned creating buildings and they're now doing it with hotels, they're doing it with office buildings, they're doing it with housing, but they can create a production line just like a car assembly in these factories. And it saves all the weather delays, it saves 
you know, tradesmen coming and going, all of the different issues that you have coordinating construction. And you can do it in a way where when you're building inside, not only do you not have the elements fighting against you to be able to be on site and constructing, but your materials aren't getting wet, you're getting less mold, you're getting all sorts of other benefits that go with that type of construction. Does the modular approach create more personalization for 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 the end user? I mean, you know, when you think about uh, the space, you know, the opportunity and the, well, the space now in real estate where the developer, as you mentioned, builds on spec with the idea that people are going to want something that they've built down the road. They build this property, people move in, they realize, okay, well, you know, this is a great box, but I want this, I want that, I want more, more X, Y, and Z. And they then there's this sort of aftermarket business where people start retrofitting and, and all that kinds of stuff. And this huge industry around that then gets fired up. So does modular construction or at least modular build in in the in the upstream does that create more opportunity for personalization or a bit more um maybe unique design for different types of people downstream or maybe less yeah it um there are people doing really interesting things with it now there's a lot of personalization that can be done in kind of a single family environment working with modular where you can still have the pieces put together, but they can add different design elements once it's all been put together on site. So they can make it look very unique, even though the foundations of it and the the different walls and pieces are very similar. Um, So I, I think in some ways it may if people move into buildings that weren't designed with that intent, but instead are just kind of a bunch of boxes and don't have a lot of individuality on the outside, um, I think it may drive people to want to be more creative on the inside. And I don't think modular does anything to affect your ability to do that one way or another. Have different expectations about how they want to live. And then you ask people to live on top of each other. I think today people want a bit more uniqueness, a bit more personalization than in fact people may have wanted uh, maybe 20, 30 years ago. And I think when I see sort of track housing and this whole idea of you know, you can get a house as long as it looks like this in a community that's an urban sprawl that is an area that looks like that. I think I think people are demanding a bit more, um, a more customization or a bit more personality or at least having something that is slightly different than the home next to them is interesting. And I and that's on the residential side. I, and moving into the commercial um, side of things. I wonder, Christy, because I know that you have a lot of experience uh, working across industries, building um, structures for the commercial sector, uh, and for industries uh, that matter or that used to matter, are we seeing that that there is a trend towards um, development of buildings for industries that may no longer exist to be relevant in the, relevant in the future? Well, yeah, there's always that risk. Um, you know, you just, you never know where something's going. And it's one of those things that it's hard to build something like we were looking at sound stages for movie and TV production. That was something that was a very specific building. And the question everybody had is what happens if the tax credits go away and nobody wants to film in New York anymore? That's a valid question. 
thankfully the sound stages are just super nice warehouses. So you still have an alternate use for it. Um, but figuring out how to repurpose existing real estate is a big challenge. And I think we're going to see that with some of these smaller regional malls, um, some strip malls in some areas. Retail is changing dramatically. We have to figure out how to create value out of this buildings that exist today so that we don't just abandon them and leave them as eyesores and move on to something different. Again, trying to be more sustainable instead of just tearing something down because it's not ideal anymore, um, but find clever ways to repurpose. That reminds me of a guest we had on on air um, who was a gym owner. He actually owned a CrossFit gym. <laughs> he loves warehouses <laughs> and garages. So yeah. the extra garage sitting around, he'll turn it into a CrossFit gym. Studio stage slash CrossFit gym. CrossFit. <laughs> Love it. Christy, uh, your latest project takes you to Austin. There seems to be a lot of growth going on in Texas, uh, a lot of migration from California. Are you seeing that? It's been staggering. I've only been paying attention to the market for a couple of years now. Uh, my partner's been there for six or seven. He saw it earlier than I did. Uh, but even just in this last year, during a global pandemic, Austin's had the biggest job growth um, of its history. And you've seen companies like Tesla, Oracle, Hewlett Packard, uh, Apple's building a billion dollar campus there, Google's doubling their presence, Facebook's taking another million square feet downtown, venture capital companies are moving. Uh, a huge startup scene in that city now. Um, and it's going to be interesting because the housing market, uh, they've just never seen an influx of people like this. And so they're now down to less than a month's supply of houses in Austin. A normal healthy market is six months. So they have a real crisis coming and half of those companies haven't even done the relocation yet. Um, so there's a real, it's going to be interesting to see if all of the reasons that everybody's leaving California to come to Austin or whether they're just creating the same problems that they're leaving in California by coming to Austin. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what goes on in California. They've got a lot of structural issues. Uh, the problem with California is that it's such great weather that once you go there, you don't want to leave. I mean, you got to love Austin, though. Austin's, I mean, even though it's a little humid, I mean, the barbecue? I mean, <laughs> Music's pretty good, too. And, and music. So, I mean, it's, it's funny, right? Because you got all the elements of a great community, right? You got, you got uh, the jobs, you've got the food, you've got the music and the culture, and you've got the weather for the most part. I mean, it doesn't, it sounds like paradise, right? And it's particularly from a developer standpoint, it's almost like, you know, you can just build anything and it will work in a city like Austin. Um, Austin will not let you build anything. <laughs> They're actually very particular, um, which I think has been a really good thing for that city to this point because it's helped it keep um, keeping Austin weird, which is actually their slogan. Um, but that's a really a citywide thing. They are trying to keep their identity and not change so dramatically. But at the same time, they have a huge housing crisis and they're going to have to figure out how to get things built faster. So do you find, 
So you, when you look at places to build and to do projects, I mean, clearly in the beginning of the show, you had told us that you, 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 you're really passionate about the space and you kind of gravitate towards projects that are interesting for you. Are you finding that, that this type of work in Austin and, and perhaps your next project that you'd be working on down the road will be driven by the, 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 the market need or driven by some um, purpose uh, or some community uh, need that, that you are uniquely qualified to fill as a development company? Um, I, I think you always need a combination of those things. Building something you want to build if there's no demand for it doesn't right. really have any value to anybody. Um, I always make sure that I partner with somebody who has whatever skills are my deficit. So in Austin, I had not done housing before and I was new to Austin. So I didn't know the rules and regulations and things that I needed to watch out for. And I ended up partnering with one of my classmates from MIT, who's been one of my best friends all these years. Um, and he's been there for six years building housing. So that's kind of what I look for is finding people that I like doing things that are interesting, that challenge me in a new way so I can learn about a new space and a new industry. Um, the entertainment industry, it was the same thing. It was a good friend of mine who'd been in that space who saw the opportunity and gave me a chance to learn about it. Um, the technology company, the same thing. Friend talked me into that one too. Um, but it tends to be people she says that graciously. it's the people. <laughs> yeah, it, it to me it, it's about the people and it's doing something that I think can add value to where it is. Um, I'm really excited about this project in Austin because as you were talking about with the individuality, uh, we've created something that looks very different and feels very different than a traditional apartment building. We worked so hard to make sure that we didn't just have a wall of a facade that looked exactly the same and didn't have any personality and character. Um, and I think a lot of people get caught on trying to build fast and build inexpensively, but they forget that they're creating part of a community and they have a responsibility to put a little more effort in. Chrissy, your story is inspiring. Uh, and I think um, just the journey that you've, and the path that you've taken, the journey that you've made since the beginning of your career uh, is quite impressive. And I think for anyone uh, to listen to your story would, would be inspired and motivated to, to, to want to do the same. And considering that, you, you know, there aren't many women in this industry, and there's actually, as you mentioned, a growing number of people getting into the industry. What would you recommend? What would you say to a woman who wants to get into the space and do what you do? Like, how would you recommend that they get started? Uh, what rec what recommendations on the path, or the paths that they should take in order to achieve the success that you've achieved? What would you say to the next generation of women out there looking to get into real estate development? Um, I think the most important thing is to start with an aspect of it that inspires you and whether it's design or it's sustainability or it's finance or even law. And there are so many different ways that, and different careers that are impacted in real estate development. And I think 
finding one and creating a niche and a skill. And then it's something that once you're in the space, it's a little easier to adapt. And then, you know, it's a long road. You've, you've got, it's almost apprentice style. You really need to go work for a developer. You need to pay your dues. You know, I spent 10 years working a hundred hours a week and doing what I had to do to, to stay on the team and to learn and to make myself valuable. There's no uh, substitute for hard work, no matter what you're going to do, right? No, and I don't think that there is. And, you know, the most important thing is to talk to people and to create your network. Um, there's no conversation that's a bad conversation. You never know when people will come back into your life. It's a very small industry. Um, I personally work very hard to keep in touch with people that I've connected with or I've worked with, check in, see what they're doing. Um, I think that's the most valuable thing that you can have in real estate and probably in most other industries. Given your vast success and your diverse uh, background and your connection to MIT, do you ever see yourself teaching or having a class or being a mentor to up and coming people? Um, informally, I've actually been a mentor quite often. Um, I meet people in a casual place or through schools. Um, either through my high school or my college or my graduate school. Um, I always stay connected. And I have, I've worked with several people um, in that kind of sense. I don't think teaching's really for me, but I really do like inspiring people and helping them find the path that really excites them. Well, your story is an inspiration, so I think you're in the right place. Thank you. Well, this has been amazing. I think the um, for me, I've been inspired. I think I'm going to go out and start um, uh, get some barbecue right now. <laughs> uh, but I think that what we need to do is um, uh, is definitely continue the conversation. I'd love to be able to see more and and, and learn more about what you're doing um, in, in Austin. But I want to thank you for the time that you have spent with us today. Uh, I've learned a ton. I know Jamie, uh, about you, but like I think this is um, it, you know, I think I've really got a pulse on what what the future is going to look like in real estate. Uh, so thank you very much, Christy. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much for joining the show, Chris. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Please give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.